1996, Chris Carter followed up The X-Files with the darker, arguably more sophisticated series, Millennium. Fans yearning for Frank Black's heroic return can revisit past nightmares and see glimpses of a hopeful future in the new feature-length documentary, Millennium After the Millennium. Villain Media affirms the documentary establishes how relevant the former Fox series still is to society. UK Film Review says Jason D. Morris creates an enthralling documentary. Screen critics calls it an absolute must-see, featuring new interviews from Lance Henriksen, Chris Carter, Frank Spotnitz, and many more. Millennium After the Millennium is available now at thetimeisnowmm.com. This is who we are. I've seen things people wouldn't believe. Maybe I don't care. Have a drink. All the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Didn't do it. Why not? The whole thing's been wrong from the beginning. I feel dirty. Is there anything I can do? Please, Dix, can't you relax for a second? My name is Nep, Walter Nep. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. He's looking at you, kid. Yesterday, this would have meant so much to us. Now it doesn't matter. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. You're right, you're right. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up-and-coming directors and writers of new neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. (sighs) All right, here we go, guys. This is uh, episode eight and today we're going to um, we're going to have a Kentucky Mule for our drink of the week. Oh, that um, sounds disgusting. It's, it does. You know, I've never been a huge. OK, so a mule is typically a Moscow mule um, and it was a drink that was invented in the 40s from a famous uh, uh, bar owner. Um, that owned the Cock and Bull, which was British, by the way. He's, I was That is such a British name, Cock yeah. and Bull. Um, so it was an L.A. pub called Cock and Bull. Um, it was Jack Morgan. Um, and he, I guess, bought more vodka and um, uh, ginger beer, I guess, than most of uh, other pubs or, you know, whatever. Cold lad. Yeah, decided to just to, to use it and create a drink, and it really took off. Um, and I guess all the Hollywood A-listers would go to this bar, and that's kind of how it sort of spread and became a huge sort of sensation in the in the 40s and whatnot, and has continued on even today. Um, even more interesting, what I found even more interesting was the reason why a Moscow mule was always served in a copper cup um, is because his girlfriend at the time. I guess owned a, a distribution factory or or made them or something like that and it wasn't doing well and she had a surplus of copper cups so he decided to incorporate that into like the recipe so to speak oh what a stand-up guy yeah which i mean it must have taken off after that like she must have done very well because the drink itself went very well and everybody thinks that it's supposed to be served in a copper cup for a reason and they make up a reason like it keeps it 
you know, the drink cooler if you're in a hotter climate, which is true. The copper does, it gets very cold. I actually don't like using a copper cup because it makes my hands super cold. (laughs) (laughs) My hands are tickled. Just drink the drink faster. Yeah, it's almost like, it feels like liquid nitrogen. (laughs) It's so cold. Um, But I guess it might work if you're like in the Miami heat or I guess California heat prison, you know. (laughs) God. We don't end up with pneumonia if we were doing it over here. <laughs> right. um, but also equally as um, common as just serving in a highball glass. Um, and it's it's a simple sort of drink, um, but that's not the one that we're going to be doing. We're doing a Kentucky Mule, which is a variation. Over the years, there's been many variations um, depending on, you know, the type of alcohol that you use. You know, you could call it a Mexican Mule if you're using tequila or... Uh, um, Jamaican mule if you're using rum uh, we're doing a Kentucky mule all right and a Kentucky mule is a little bit different in that you would use bourbon um, as a primary ingredient and uh, it depends on your taste like um, the the original recipe is uh, ginger beer which I don't particularly like ginger beer I think it's just oh, got too much bite I like ginger beer do you yeah my, my wife likes ginger beer as well um, but also commonly substituted for the ginger beer would be ginger ale, um, which makes a bit of a sweeter drink. Um, and that's what I prefer. Um, but I'll give you the original recipe, um, and then you can sub out the ginger beer if you're not really up on that and prefer the ginger ale. All right. So it's basically two ounces of your favorite bourbon. Um, they suggest Jim B Maker's Mark or uh, Bullet bourbon. I prefer Bullet myself. Um, chilled ginger beer. Uh, juice of one fresh lime, mint sprigs, which I don't know what mint sprigs are. I'm assuming like the leaf. Um, uh, yeah, is that like a like a couple of the leaves dropped in? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming so because that's that's how I see most drinks prepared. Is just you know the mint leaf, they, they crush it or you know break it to, to release it, um, and ice cubes. Um, and how you make the drink is um, you get your copper cup or highball glass. Uh, if you're a wimp and don't like, you know, your hands freezing cold. <laughs> or you're in the UK and you're afraid you'll freeze to death. Or, yeah, if you're already freezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you pour your two ounces of bourbon in, then you add your um, lime, which is one fresh lime, so a full-on lime, apparently. A full-on lime? That's what it. That's what it is, yeah. A whole lime? Yeah, well, you don't put the whole lime in, you just squeeze the juice from it. So oh, I thought we were like chopping up a, a whole Mm-mm. lime and shoving that in there. No, just the juice. So I imagine that might make a quarter of an ounce of juice wow. or ha- maybe half. I'm not really sure. Um, whatever a whole lime, you squeeze that in. Uh, you add your ice cubes and then you add your ginger beer on top. And then you would tear and rub your mint sprigs. And I, I don't know if that means you rub the mint sprigs together or you rub them on the glass or, or what that exactly means. It doesn't specify. Um, Freestyle. Yeah. So your choice. If you, you want to do some leaf rubbing <laughs> or, <laughs> oh or some glass rubbing, it's up to you. <laughs> I'd probably just that, break them and, and put them into the glass and then just stir it lightly and enjoy. That is the worst point for somebody to tune into this podcast by accident, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. Get yourself a bit of leaf rubbing. <laughs> this is the speakeasy leaf rubbing society. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there you go, Lordy. guys. Uh, enjoy your Kentucky mule.
right, Carly. So today we're going to be talking about a movie I didn't think I was going to like. Ah, that's interesting because I also didn't expect to like it. And I'm a big fan of Edward Robinson uh, or, you know, Edward G. Robinson, as people like to use his middle initial or or he does. I'm not really sure. Um, but Edward G. Robinson, I think, is an amazing actor. Um, and I just read the synopsis like, eh, I was kind of lukewarm on it. Wasn't excited. Um, I didn't do a lot of pre-research on it until after I watched the movie. Um, but um, why don't... No, let's not do that yet because we need to do the trailer. So the movie that we're going to talk about is called Bullets or Ballots from 1936. Police start cleanup. Citywide raids ordered. Lone sharks routed. 42 sidewalk bankers jailed. The producers of G-Man and Special Agent. Read the headlines for another dramatic scoop. Bullets or Ballots. A sensation street story of a New York detective who smashed a billion dollar crime syndicate. Johnny, you better give Vinci's loan sharks a once over. Okay. He won't give my outfit the once over. Keep him away from it. What are you afraid of? I don't like the way your face is fastened on. Well, I'll be down tomorrow morning, give you a chance to change it. You're not running liquor anymore. You're in big business. I pulled you up out of the gutter. And you take a chance on ruining a $200 million gold mine to satisfy a grudge. Well, it's a fine way to pay me back for all I've done for you. Oh, I wouldn't pay you back that way, Al. Well, I hear they cut the big shot detective down to size. Must be tough not being able to kick the boys around anymore. Making them tip their hat to you. But they still do. <laughs> to a Bronx flatfoot. rules the underworld again as Gangdom makes its last doomed stand. Fenner is Kruger's number one man. If anything happens to Kruger, and I'm going to see that it does, Fenner moves up. But I'm not going to let him because I'm going to step into Mr. Fenner's shoes. You started this racket. You ought to have a share in it. I suppose Mr. Blake will let me have it. He'll have nothing to say about it. I'm running things from now on. If you want the Bronx and Harlem districts, they're yours. If you need protection, you'll get it. You don't trust me. I don't trust anybody. I've never seen it fail. Whenever mugs get into a scrap, the first thing they do is they start knighting each other. Say, I thought you were smart, Al. Keep on talking. Finally got wise to you. You're through. Oh, no, I'm just starting. Copper. Bullets or pellets? Chapter in the War on Crime. Revealed by Martin Mooney, the reporter who wouldn't talk. Edward G. Robinson tops the thrills of all his past hits. With Joan Blondell as the girl who had a racket all her own. Martin McLean, Humphrey Bogart, and Frank McHugh. In Bullets or Bellets. Directed by William Kiley, who made G-Men. Another screen shock from Warner Brothers.
So Carly, uh, why don't you give us uh, your famous rundown of bullets or ballots? Okay, I have multiple confessions to make at various points. The first confession, the first confession, we definitely need a noise for it. Okay. I'm disappointed with my famous synopsis on this one. I I feel like it's it's just a synopsis. It's not famous. There's nothing famous about it. Yeah, no, no specialness to this one. No. That is disappointing. I know. Well, I. I thought I'd just set you up for disappointment, yeah, and then and if it we, happens it, to be okay, you know, here, it's like, yay! Yeah, I mean, we rehired you back on after firing you last week. Because <laughs> nobody are. else showed up for the <laughs> position. <laughs> Shh! <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. <clears throat> we got thousands of phone calls. Millions. <laughs> but we, we kept you on because of the famous uh, synopsis, and uh, we thought we couldn't lose that, and here we are losing it. Yeah, mm, already gone. Sailed away in the wind. Well, give it your best, worst shot. Okay. My my lukewarm synopsis <laughs> is lukewarm. Humphrey Bogart is a ah, badass. Hold on a second. We're starting this out with Humphrey Bogart, who doesn't even star in the movie. He does star in the movie. He's in the movie. He doesn't star in the movie. Okay. Well, can I get to my synopsis, please? He's even listed please? as the fourth on the list Can of I get to my synopsis, please? <laughs> without without interruption, just because I said it was lukewarm. And I didn't even know he was in the movie when I went to sit down and watch it. I was super surprised That's when he popped in on you're screen. Not a fan. <laughs> um, can I get back to it then? Yeah, start over though. Okay. So, synopsis in a nutshell. Humphrey Bogart is a badass whose badassery is only matched by the world's most obvious and slightly tiny undercover cop. <laughs> slightly tiny? I was taken aback by his height. Oh my gosh. Especially because he was able to oh knock everybody gosh. out, but he hey. kind of like was leaping up. It was great. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Very true. I would not fuck with Edward G. Robinson. Neither would I. He's ferocious. Yeah. Man. You know, that wasn't a terrible synopsis except for commenting on his height. That was pretty that was pretty low, Carly. <laughs> pretty low. You know. Oh, God. You're taking your funny pills. Up, they can clean up their appearance, they can buy a new suit, some fancy shoes, but you know, you can't change your height unless you get those platform things which look funny anyway. So that was a pretty low ball, you sexist woman. <laughs> I was. I said I was taken aback by his height, but then potentially impressed by it as well. <laughs> impressed by, impressed nope. by his punches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he's a tough guy. You know, um, it, it. It. He's. I mean, I've always been impressed with him. I always think he, he's. You know, he's been a great actor. Um, he. Um, he really reminded me of an, an English actor called Jamie Foreman. Yeah, I don't know who that is. You need to. You need to seek him out because. His acting style is quite similar. Okay. I'll look it up. <clears throat> I got to add it to my list. Dad's Army and a few other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Bullets or Ballots, 1936 film. It was directed by William... Oh, boy. Here we go. Kylie? Keeley? What? Kylie? I don't know. William, William Kylie, I'm going to say. 
Oh, God. As you all know by now, I am horrible with pronunciations of names and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and words. <laughs> and, and words. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, the movie stars Edward G. Robinson, who we're gushing over for the moment, except for his height. Uh, Joan Blondell, Barton McLean, and Humphrey Bogart, who, as I said, I was very surprised to see. I had no idea he was in this movie. Um, and Robinson's character, since we were speaking of his um, uh, tough guy sort of demeanor in this film, was based on a real person. Uh, his, his Johnny Blake character was based on Johnny Broderick, uh, who was a fairly famous New York city detective, um, who had, uh, a, a long career, won lots of medals, um, and was a noted tough guy who didn't mind beating the crap out of gangsters. Um, and there's, there was a lot of, um, he was up against a lot of, uh, issues with, um, excessive force and things like that, but. Um, it's well documented of him actually beating the crap out of several of these uh, tough guy, uh, racketeer, gangster guys. Um, and I thought uh, Robinson did a did a great job portraying that. I mean, they didn't they didn't really go into much of his history. It's just sort of hinted at. But um, yeah, I thought he did did a good job. Maybe this could have been earlier in Johnny's career. <laughs> I liked it. I. I... I again was surprised because I didn't expect uh, Humphrey Bogart to be in it. I didn't either. I didn't. And know. I saw it for a second uh, when he popped up. I thought, "Am I watching the right film here? Have I have I got the right film on in front of me?" Yeah, I wonder if this is like because um, Humphrey Bogart didn't really he wasn't really super famous right at this point. I mean, he obviously quite not an a, early one, isn't it? Yeah, he he didn't. Because he doesn't star, he co he co-stars. You know, he's not. He's just sort of that bad guy thug co-star. Um. But uh, I would I was surprised to see him. Um, and I honestly I didn't I don't like seeing Bogart as the bad guy. I do. I don't. I it really irritated me. I I don't know. You know, conflict is different because it's more of a um. I don't know what you would call that. Just more of an everyday person sort of bad guy than it is like a gangster bad guy because gangster bad guys can be pretty vicious and mean, you know, I mean, not that he was a good guy in conflict, but, um, I suppose that was like a situational bad guy. Whereas in this yeah. one, he's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. This is more of like, you know, like LA noir where or, or LA uh, confidential where they're, you know, they're climbing the ladder or they're, you know, doing things to for themselves. It's too it's too narcissistic and too um, for themselves. It just, you know, I, I don't know. It irritates me. And then, yeah, I just I, I don't I don't like I don't like seeing them in those characters as those characters. I don't know. I, I quite liked it, but. I like Humphrey Bogart as a bad guy, so. You prefer him as a bad guy or? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Huh. All right. Um, during my research of this movie, I thought it was interesting and I, I couldn't figure out why. I could not find out why. But William Kiley, or however you pronounce his last name, 
was initially the director of the Adventures of Robin Hood, which was uh, was a very big deal at the time. Um, it was the first, like, I guess, color picture and um, for Warner Brothers. And um, he, it was a big movie, right? And he was replaced by Michael Curtis, who directed Mildred Pierce. Um, and I think Casablanca, yeah, Casablanca, am I right on that? I'd have to look it up again, but anyway, he definitely directed, uh, Mildred Pierce, but, um, I thought that was pretty interesting that he got removed and I couldn't figure out why couldn't find the information on that. So if any of our listeners know why, please let us know. Cause I want to know. <clears throat> Is Apparently the I'm... Robin Hood one, the one with Errol Flynn? Yes. 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 Oh, yes. I like him. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I thought that was, I don't know why. I just thought that was interesting. I just kept having to come across it. Because um, I thought this movie was so well directed. Um, and for such a big picture like that, he must have done something wrong or, I don't know, couldn't figure out what it was. And to be replaced by a, a big, well-known director of the time. Well, you know what it was like at, at the studios at the time. If you didn't say are you to the right person, you're out when you're out. Right. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I guess this this movie is. Uh, I, I I know that there's you know his character is based on a real person, um, and I wonder how current event it was at the time. Like, were these sort of. Uh, racketeering stuff going on high up into society, like in this movie, you know, with the the bankers, um, sort of driving the ball there, and and stealing, um, utilizing the gangsters and whatnot. Um, you know, I wonder if that was uh, a, a current event thing of the time or what or whatnot. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? But you think, you must think it must have been because well, yeah, it, it must have had some spark of truth in it. Yeah, at least like a rumor mill or something or like the the societal sort of like suspect, you know, uh, suspicion of it um, must have been a thing, you know, because um, it's this is a I wouldn't this isn't a complicated movie. But if you really delve deep into like all the business, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, things that these guys are into and how they're making their money, um that stuff can get pretty complicated. And I was happy that they didn't really delve into that too much. Um, Cause I think that would have sort of ruined the movie in my opinion. Um, I like the little film at the beginning in the theater kind mm -hmm. of explaining it all. Yeah. I thought that was well done as well. Yeah. Um, I thought that was good that they did that. And uh, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Bogart's character and the other guy, uh, kind of sit down and was like, Hey, look at what this, this guy's doing. You know, we got to stop him. <laughs> and the other guy's just like, what are you talking about? Leave it alone. Um, and it set those dynamics up early on very well. Yeah. Cause I, I liked the, um, was it Al? Um, he was the bad guy, but he was almost <laughs> still keeping the peace. So he was yeah. bad, but he wasn't evil. Right. And, Whereas and that, Bogart was just evil. Yeah. And that's exactly why I didn't like Bogart. Um, Al Kruger um, was a businessman. Yeah. You know, just like the banker. And that's the reason why the bankers can work with him because he wasn't hot headed. He didn't do things out of emotion like 
Bogart did his character, which was Fenner. Um, so he was able to know his place and facilitate things. And that's the reason why Fenner was never going to get that job. No matter how hard he tried, they would have, they just wouldn't have done it. It would have been ridiculous. And if he did get it, he wouldn't have lasted long. Um, he just, he did things his way and that's not how things work. Um, unless you're powerful enough to completely squash everybody and take over, which the only person that was, was Johnny Blake, you know? And as we find out, he's working on, you know, he's, he's working with the police to do this, to take down this ring. And, um, you know, his dogged detective skills and his perception, um, are really what do it. This guy remembers everything. He sees everything. Um, and when you think he's going down, he's still like, even Bogart couldn't take him down. And I'm like, when he comes out of that room, I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> like he's not going to make it. What's going to happen? Um, and this guy, even though he's shot like twice, he's like, nope, I got to get this done. Yeah, I'm still going to my meeting. Yep. Nobody needs to know. Uh, I'm, you know, that that's how committed this guy was to. He knew what his life goal was. I didn't expect him to die at the end. I didn't either. I was, I was pretty sad. It, I was, was really like, shocked. And I thought that was horrible in the car when she finally realizes that he's not awful and she's like oh i'll wait for you yeah and you know the thing is is that we're, we're set up pretty early with their relationship that they're never going to be a thing no matter what even though they like each other and that's pretty obvious um his life is his life and hers is hers and those two don't intersect other than by chance and you know he's got he, he just doesn't have that ability to to have that sort of domestic home life he, he's too dedicated to his job and what he does and i think that fed very well into that plot point of you know him getting fired and still working with the cops kind of thing it, it you know nobody would believe that because when somebody is so uh in tune with their their job and know who they are and what they're doing and are and as as dedicated as johnny blake was um they wouldn't expect him to do anything other than be angry and upset that he devoted himself to it and then to be let go like that. And I think that's the only reason why uh, Kruger would have approached him to, to come onto his team. Yeah, he was, it was quite good in the sense that he had a really good get out clause because if they ever started suspecting him, he'd just be like, hey, you come to me, mate. Right. I didn't come to you begging for a job. You came to me. Right. So, hey, Carly, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back. We're going to keep talking about this film. And, you know, I wanted to talk about like the femme fatale sort of, uh, you know, classic noir sort of tropes. Like what I've been noticing a lot is they're always sort of not always, but a lot of these films are they utilize them completely differently. Like, I think we usually think of the trope as like the private detective in the femme fatale shows up, you know, at the, at your office and, you know, gets them caught up in some sort of like case. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's not that way in a lot of these films, you know, it's, it's usually just the, um, the two can't be together for some reason, um, really seems to be the way, 
you know, that this is, whether it's like she's bad or he's bad or, you know, it just doesn't work in their two different societal, you know, systems that they live in or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that that seems to be, you know, um, sort of a misguided sort of trope of film noir so far that I'm seeing, you know, um, that the femme fatale is usually associated strictly with the woman who talks the guy in by using her sex and whatnot and then screws him over sort of thing. Um, but it doesn't seem to really always be that way. I like the relationship in this one because she was very, she was very on her own. She was very standalone and there was no, there was no lovey-dovey nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was very adult. It was very, it was two yeah. people who knew their place. They knew what was happening. They they wished it could be different, but they, they know themselves well enough that, yeah, it's just not, and that sucks, but you know, I've got to do what we got to do. And I think that's what made it more tragic at the end. Because mm -hmm. I think she actually started to think, maybe I can change my lifestyle to adapt to his. Right. Never got the chance. No, no, something was going to stop it. Yeah. Bloody Bogart. <laughs> that bastard. <laughs> Shooting people, <laughs> then yeah. making them go meetings. Yeah, and his name is Bugs Fenner, you know, Nick Bugs Fenner. And he was a bug in this movie, man. That guy, like, just crawled in and destroyed everything he destroyed his own his own organization that he worked for <laughs> he did yeah he completely yeah. destroyed it from the inside out yeah trying to take over it and i you know i wondered um the title bullets or ballots you know if that really like what because there's i mean this isn't revolving around any elections or things like that i got confused about that a little bit as well right there's definitely political aspects to it with you know the police chief and the commissioner um you know and them wanting them to solve the the murder of um oh the newspaper Brian uh, reporter yeah can't think of his name but yeah um and wanting that solve that fast and and not being happy even when they're taking down all of these organized uh, crime vehicles so to speak um you know, so there's some po politics, you know, involved in this. And I, I guess that might be sort of where the ballots title part of the title comes in. But I was expecting it to have some sort of stronger political arc in there. Um, but I guess this sort of makes sense because it's people moving up in their positions, I guess, in ways. And they're, you know, maybe that's sort of what the title means. They're doing they're using bullets in order to, to, to move up and not necessarily, you know, people voting them into position, I guess, in a way. I'm not really sure I'm reaching here, but. I wonder um, if it's more kind of like you can either, like a path you can choose. You can either choose like Fenner's shoot first, ask questions later, mm. or you can choose the longer game, the kind of the deals, the negotiation, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's an excellent Maybe. point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Very well could be. What did you think of uh, Joan Blondell? Joan. Joan, yeah. Lee Morgan. She, the, the... I liked her a lot. Yeah? Yeah. I've never seen, I can't say I've seen much with her in, to be honest. Yeah, um, I don't recall the name uh, personally. Um, I thought she was I, good. Yeah, I thought she was really good. I did like her a lot. She was one of the characters, like you were talking about last week with uh, LA Confidential and Kim Basinger. I, I felt like 
she came in and because of, you know, like she was a, a plot device um, that wasn't in it enough and didn't have enough to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was, she was utilized just to move the plot along, which makes sense. And I enjoyed that and I thought it worked pretty well, but I did view this um, after our last conversation with LA Confidential, I viewed this movie in a very similar light um, in terms of the structure and the type of film it is and involving um, the newspaper and involving uh, the police, um, not really corruption within the police, but uh, that subbed for the corruption uh, of the banks, um, which honestly, I think in the past like 10 years in American history, um, it makes this movie pretty, uh, pretty valid in, in a different sort of way. Um, but um, yeah, I thought there was a lot of interesting similarities with LA Confidential. Well, that's interesting. Yes, I see where you're coming from with that. I didn't think about that avenue myself, to be honest. But now you've mentioned it, yeah. All right, Carly. Um, are we going to rate this movie? Uh, I think we can. Yeah? Can I Can I just share my favourite quote of the film? Mm-mm, no. Well, I'm going to anyway. No, you ruined that already. You don't, you don't have any more rights here. <laughs> of course. <laughs> What's your favourite quote of the film? Hello, stool pigeon. <laughs> okay, who said that one? I don't recall that. I can't remember, but I, I very much enjoyed it. Hello, stool pigeon. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Because I thought, what is a stool pigeon? I, I think it's like the people that are just sitting on the like the brownstone steps or whatever, you know, or like any sort of like steps. Like pigeons are just gathered around, or I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, completely wrong. Maybe it's a like a reference to somebody who uh, uh, is sort of like a yes man. We'll just do whatever. Ah, that makes more sense. Maybe depends on who they said it to. I guess I'm not sure. That's funny though. I liked it. I like I like when a piece of dialogue takes me by surprise and makes me spit coffee out and there. That happened so yeah there was definitely a few quips in it that i thought were pretty funny um i didn't write them down though unfortunately so i couldn't repeat them but i recall that there was a couple particularly from um from lee morgan uh john john blondell's character um that i thought were pretty funny and i think they were referenced towards uh bogart uh i think particularly one scene where where he kisses her after she sort of agrees to go into leagues with him but not that kind of league. <laughs> and she like slaps him and says something like, I meant the numbers. <laughs> and then like, I can't remember exactly what their dialogue was, but that was pretty funny. Um, Cause she just sort of lets it happen and like puts him in his place. Yeah. She was very sharp. Wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you thought you could take what you wanted, but you, you know, no sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that was funny. But okay, so what's uh, what's your rating in this movie, Carly? Oh, it's gonna be an eight. An eight? All right, cool. Eight, eight gens out of gen. Like okay, um, I'm gonna give this one a seven. Oh, yeah. And again, I I sort of put this in um, in league with the Big Steel, as to where. I thought it was really competent, well-made movie. I love the actors in it. 
Um, I think that the acting in this is probably better than the big steel, particularly um, Robinson opposed to Mitchum. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, it didn't break any ground for me in terms of style or, or story that I'm aware of, you know, like I feel, I felt like it was just a well-made competent movie. It's something I would probably watch again. Um, but uh, yeah, that's about all. Yeah. Well, I'm a sucker for a good cop and robber yeah. film and with a couple of added bonuses that I very much enjoyed the actor that I've not really watched a lot of before. Mm-hmm. Bogart was in there. Um, yeah, an eight. Yeah, cool. All right. It's definitely worthy of that. Um, you know, I don't I don't give it extra points for Bogart, honestly, just because I didn't like, I don't like seeing him as a bad guy. Maybe that's, you know, my own personal issues, but yeah, I don't know. I think maybe it's because I've seen more of his uh, good guy films and so it sort of taints it for me. But I don't know. Not sure. We will find out as we continue our journey. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a bad guy Bogart movie out there that I would just love. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's the challenge. Maybe we've just discovered. Could be. <laughs> the overall challenge. Could be. <laughs> All right, there you have it, folks. Uh, we got eight out of ten gens and a seven out of ten gens. Uh, tell us what you think. You know, uh, we would love to hear your guys's take on uh, bullets or ballots. Maybe even know uh, the full reasoning behind the title. Maybe we're missing something there. Give us a call at eight one eight six four three one four four one, or find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Tell us what you think of this film or suggest a new film or, uh, you know, apply for Carly's job. Uh, There's an opening. After I found out as well what I was going to put in your Twitter bio to make you more appealing to people. (laughs) You're hurting me now. Are you you ready? It's really good. I'm ready. Jason Morris puts the twit in Twitter. All right, we're bringing the twit back. <laughs> <Yeah. Ta-la. laughs> <laughs> I guess you're not fired. No, get, get me job for another two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Um, join us for uh, episode nine in, in another week and uh, give us a call. Let us know what you guys are doing. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Uh, leave us uh, some feedback uh, rate the show on iTunes um, and tell your friends you know anybody that you know that likes uh, film noir and wants to hear us chatter about it you know let them know about the show alright until next time bye bye he's looking at you kid joining us this week on the speakeasy noir cast make sure to visit our website resurrectionfilms.net where you can subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show while you're at it if you found value in the show we'd appreciate a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too if you like the show you might want to check out our book the dark side of acting up available now on amazon or you can check out one of our films available on amazon prime my throat just started going right at the end of that then (laughs) I can't clear my throat because it's going to make too much of a noise.